0: Today's guest, Dr. Rick Hong, currently serves as the State Medical Director of Delaware's Division of Public Health, leveraging expertise in healthcare logistics and operations, EMS and emergency preparedness, and public health to protect the public and the healthcare infrastructure from critical threats. A member of the DPH team since 2005, Dr. Hong also holds the role of Medical Director for the State's Office of Preparedness. His medical expertise supports the mission of statewide healthcare preparedness in the setting of mass casualty incidents, including chemical, biological, radiation, nuclear, traumatic, and natural hazards. He has served as a medical director of the Delaware Medical Reserve Corps, acted as the medical liaison officer in the incident command of the State Health Operations Center, and chaired the Delaware Ethics Advisory Group. Dr. Hong is board-certified in emergency medicine and in emergency medical services, completing his emergency medicine residency at Cooper University Hospital and graduating from University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry from University of Pennsylvania and a Bachelor of Science in Economics and Healthcare Management and Policy from the Wharton School. Hello and welcome back to the Den Cast podcast. I'm Garrett Morosky. I'm one of the business relationship managers with DIN. I have with me joining me Mike McDonald. He's also business relationship management, manager as well for Newcastle County. And we have Stacey Schiller. She is our head of marketing and public relations for DIN. How are you folks doing?
1: Great to be here, Garrett.
0: Awesome. And we have our special guest returning, Dr. Rick Hong. He is a state medical director of Delaware's Division of Public Health. And we're here to speak with him again, following up from our end of March podcast regarding COVID-19. And how are you, sir?
2: I'm doing fine. Thank you for the invite once again.
0: Obviously, a lot has changed, and that's what we wanted to get an update. And just to start it off, what has changed so far in the fight against COVID since we last spoke towards the end of
2: March? Wow, that's been, it seems like forever. But if I recall, uh, during that time, we were talking about the increasing number of cases and our trending going up. But I'm really happy to say this time around that we can talk about trends going down. Uh, for instance, the percentage of positive results uh, as well as COVID-related hospitalizations are coming down.
0: Outstanding. That's great news because that, that was the whole thing of flatten out the hockey stick and get to flatten the curve, right?
2: Um, yep, and we definitely saw that. And, um, you know, things are starting to open up a little bit. But I I appreciate this opportunity to talk about reopening the economy and trying to get back to our normal lives.
0: Well, great. And and that's the thing, too, is that as we approach, uh, you know, the proposed phase two date, uh, what are some things that Delaware citizens need to know?
2: So even though we are reopening, people have to realize that the virus is still out there. So the reopening does not give us a sense of calmness because we need to continue to practice appropriate infection control measures to allow the reopening to progress to finally that we can reopen 100%. So, you know, very excited that we are able to go to phase two, which is starting on Monday, the 15th. But again, the reason why we're able to do so is that people are still following uh, what needs to be done to prevent further spread of disease. So I want to thank the, you know, the, the public out there for continuing uh, to do what you need to do so that we can go to phase two.
3: Thanks, Dr. Hong. It's it's very exciting to see us progressing the way we are uh, moving through the phases. A lot of people have voiced concerns about the effectiveness of wearing masks in public spaces, especially as we're progressing through the phases. Uh, Some people may think, well, do I really need to wear a mask anymore? Can you explain how the masks are helping against the spread of COVID?
2: Absolutely. So we're talking about face coverings in public. So we're not talking about someone who's sick and actively coughing. We're talking about just general face covering use in public. And the reason why the face coverings work is it prevents you as the wearer of the face covering to spread infection to others. So when we talk, sometimes when we breathe, when we shout, we yell, we cough, we sneeze, we do produce saliva and other body fluids that potentially could be infectious. By wearing your face covering, especially if you cannot maintain that six-foot distancing, uh, you are protecting others from your body fluids. So it's still important to continue this as we continue our reopening uh, phases to make sure that we can still uh, do so.
1: That's great, Dr. Hong. And one of the follow-ups I would have to that is... When do you foresee us being able to stop wearing face coverings? Will it be based on hospitalizations? Will it be based on number of positive cases? Will it be based on the availability of a vaccine? What do you predict with that?
2: So it could be any of the above. And, you know, one of the challenging things... Uh, among many, during this pandemic response is really be able to predict the future. And, you know, I remember during our last uh, conversation that, you know, there were questions about when reopening would happen. And, you know, I believe I didn't have a set date per se for that, because it really relies on so many factors for this to work out. And, you know, we're just not looking at face coverings. We're looking at all infection control measures from active screening of certain businesses to maintain that social distancing of six feet in public places, you know, limiting occupancy in in businesses, things like that. So, you know, we have to look at the overall picture as well as how effective it is in reducing number of cases and hospitalizations. So it's not a simple answer as that, but, you know, one possible solution is that we may not fully Uh, remove all recommendations for infection control measures until an effective vaccine is available. So that is a possibility. Okay, and
0: given that we were trying to flatten the curve, you know, how has the Delaware hospital system fared so far during the COVID-19 crisis? Uh,
2: Yes, and, you know, I I first want to give out a shout out to our hospital healthcare partners, because really, um, we as public health would not have been as successful uh, with this pandemic response if it weren't for their cooperation, their expertise, their support during all this. The hospitals did fairly well. Uh, We were tracking hospitalizations, we were tracking capacity at the hospitals on a daily basis, so we can plan ahead if we notice a sharp spike in hospitalizations, uh, if resources are needed. And some hospitals saw an increase in COVID hospitalizations. Uh, Some have also uh, seen increased rate of acuity regarding ICU care, ventilator care, and things like that. Uh, But across the board, the the hospitals have done a very good job in maintaining capacity. They You re-evaluated their internal processes to be able to open up resources. Also want to give a shout out to the public for knowing when to go to the hospital, knowing when to go to the emergency department, knowing when to call 911 and EMS assistance, really gauging when those resources are needed. So I think all those factors played a role in how the hospitals are still functional uh, during this time.
3: That's great, Doctor Hong. I had a question regarding the testing for COVID nineteen. So I, I think we've all seen the the pictures and the videos of people getting tested, and the the long stick that they um, have to put up your your nose during the testing process. Is is testing any easier now? Is it recommend Is it recommended? What what's changed as far as testing goes?
2: So just like technology, testing technology has evolved during this pandemic. Um, I still recall that in the beginning of this that our public health lab was the only lab that was able to test for COVID-19. And, you know, using the available science and data at that point, the nasopharyngeal swab was the best way to collect a specimen for testing for COVID-19. Now, as new technologies are available and supply chains are opening up, we are fortunate in Delaware that we have multiple ways to test for COVID-19. We still have the uh, stick up your nose, so to speak, uh, method. Um, There's also an anterior NERR Uh, specimen collection um, where you just kind of insert the swab ever so slightly into your nose. There's also the oral pharyngeal where you swab the back of your throat. And then we have the uh, oral fluid or saliva test that we recently acquired uh, that's also available uh, for testing. So all the tests have similar accuracy. So it's not one test is better than the other. One test may be more comfortable than the other, but really the testing modality is based on the population being served, as well as the uh, site that it's being provided, because there are pros and cons for each type of uh, testing. So we are lucky that we do have multiple options to be able to meet all the needs of the public regarding testing.
3: So right now, who should be getting tested? Are we still saying that we should only test individuals who could have been exposed or are experiencing symptoms? Or should we be opening it up to a broader population?
2: right and there were priority groups early on based on the availability of testing we do have capacity to test more people and even those who have no symptoms so for those that have no symptoms but are at risk for getting infected whether they work within close contact to someone who's a confirmed case or they work in a high risk setting um where they are more like more likely to be in contact with someone who's sick uh those folks should be able to get tested based on the multiple testing sites and modalities out there that we have available in the state. So
0: basically, like people that should, for sure, go get tested are, you know, the frontline people that have been helping us out as a society, like grocery store employees, things like that, correct?
2: Yes. Um, But however, I have to warn people that the test does not release your uh, obligations to still be safe and still follow our infection control measures. The testing just gives you the result at that point in time. So it just tells you when you were tested, you were negative, but it doesn't mean that, you know, while you're waiting for the test results to come back or a week later, or something changes that you can become positive. Also, the tests do have a chance for a false negative rate, so you have to be careful. Is the negative for real or not? Especially if you have symptoms of COVID-19, you you should talk to your provider regarding getting tested again, or um, you should still keep yourself safe by isolating yourself when you have symptoms just in case that negative may not be real. So there are a lot of factors in play. Just want to make sure people make informed decisions on what to do after they get tested.
1: So, Dr. Hong, it sounds like after... Folks have been tested, and to your point, it simply is a point in time as to whether you are infected or not. Talk to us a little bit about the antibody testing. What do we see coming down the pike with that, and what should we as consumers, Delawareans, expect from the state as we think about being tested? For to see whether we have carried the antibody and what that means, what that means in terms of our ability to infect others.
2: So that's a great question. And that's been a constant question uh, in our minds since we did offer the rapid uh, antibody test initially, because we did not have enough capacity for PCR or molecular testing or swab testing uh, that the public's more familiar with. You know, we work very closely with our experts within the state, our infectious disease experts, infection preventionists, as well as our lab experts, that we discuss the value of serology testing. Uh, We also talk to the CDC, and there's more and more interest in serology or antibody testing uh, for the public. Uh, CDC is still working on recommendations, how to interpret the test. Um, So I guess the answer is, is that the serology test is out there. Our state lab offers it, um, but also commercial labs as well. But you have to be careful on how to interpret the test. So many antibody tests have two types of antibodies they're checking for. They're the IgM and the IgG. The IgM may imply an acute or a current infection, whereas an IgG uh, may imply a previous exposure, that's all we can really say about the interpretation of the test. So we can't say with confidence right now that if you have an IgG alone, that means you've been infected and you're fine and you're immune. There's still some research needed to link the IgG test to immunity, but I'm eager to see what uh, develops uh, in the near future.
0: And just to tie into the antibody tests and perhaps you know where people are actually getting their information from, Like there's been rumors out that because the virus has mutated a couple times that maybe one antibody test may not be as accurate for a certain mutation of the virus. Is this true or is it still just a good practice that to build information for the CDC data and state data that people should really probably go out and get the antibody test as we move forward?
2: So I think the antibody test is helpful regarding some idea of previous exposure. And, you know, we appreciate more and more data out there because we do need to learn more about this antibody test. But again, from the public's point of view, you can't assume that you are immune uh, and you can't get sick again. You know, it could be related to the mutation or the fact is, is that the body just stops building the antibody response after some period of time, just like um, after a vaccine. So, you know, having an IgG. I, I could see making people feel good, but it should not allow you to stop wearing face coverings or going out in public and not social distancing and things like that. So people should still be cautious regards to what the antibody test shows, but I'm eager to see maybe the IgG could imply immunity, but I think more studies need to be done. But, you know, for those that want the antibody test, it is out there. Like I say, you just need to go to your family doctor, request uh, blood drawn. Uh, that could be sent to a commercial lab or specimens could be sent to the state public health lab as well, uh, if you would like to see regarding the IgG. But I caution on what the actual value of the result would be at this time.
0: Okay. And I know our governor yesterday released a statement saying that they, they're they starting to recommend that
2: people go out and get testing.
0: And that includes, should that include asymptomatic people as well
2: yes and, I, uh, think that, I, I think why and I think because we do have the capacity within the state to test more than just symptomatic people that for those that want to get tested you should get tested but again that's just a point in time it does not mean that you are protected forever throughout this at least through this pandemic but that if you are positive that you need to react appropriately so if you are positive you need to isolate yourself depending on the situation it may be 10 days. Depending on your exposure risk, it may be longer. So, you know, hopefully, people will do the right thing. It's not just about the testing, but it's also what you do while you're waiting for the test, as well as what you do if you do get a positive or negative result.
0: Everybody in the public in general is looking forward to a vaccine to help us move forward with COVID crisis. There's many that are being developed right now. Of the ones that are being developed, which do you and the state and perhaps the CDC think are the most promising coming down the pipe? And when do you think we could expect having a viable? vaccine ready for public use?
2: So that's a good question. We are eagerly waiting for the vaccine because we truly cannot surpass this pandemic without a vaccine of some sort. After speaking with the federal government multiple times, uh, there is a potential for a vaccine to be out in October. But again, it has to go through its testing process. We have to make sure it's effective. Uh, So this is something that's very serious. It's not something that they want to put out a vaccine and not not know um, whether it's going to work or whether it's going to hurt people or not. Uh, So, you know, we do have to respect the time that it takes to get a vaccine out there. Uh, If we recall from H1N1, it did take some time for that vaccine to come out. So we are looking forward to potentially in October... And we are preparing our staff to be able to release the vaccine uh, if it is available in October. But things do happen. And like I said, I'd rather have the vaccine be delayed to make it more effective or safe versus just putting something out there quickly just to get it out there.
0: Right. And total sense. And we're also, as a as a community, I think getting used to the social distancing, which has helped lower dramatically the number of cases. So we're going to be in this
2: for a while. Yeah, unfort yeah, unfortunately I think you're right. But as long as the public continues to do its part, they're doing a great job now. So we are seeing decreased trends in um hospitalizations as well as positive cases that, you know, we'll just stick stick with it and we'll we'll do this together. And, you know, hopefully once we continue to reopen that we don't go backwards.
0: And can you talk a little bit about misinformation a little bit and like the ways the state recommends people stay informed to protect themselves against COVID-19?
2: Yes, and you know, it's it's hard to say what is true and what is not true because we're still learning about this virus. So there are a lot of differing opinions on the virus itself. For instance, there's the different opinion how it's transmitted, there's differing opinion on how long it survives on the surface, on the outside of the body, you know, what symptoms could be presented, how to treat it. So, you know, we do have a coronavirus website that's been up for quite some time uh, during this event, and we try to put up the most updated or up to date information factual information on there. So folks, please uh, visit our coronavirus website. It's www.de.gov forward slash coronavirus. Um, Always look to the CDC as well too, as a reference. Uh, World Health Organization as well too is a reliable source as well. Uh, but again, people have to understand that there's still some signs out there that needs to be discovered regarding this virus, so there may be differing op- opinions, information, and you know we are going to be reactive to some new information out there. so one day we might be saying one thing and the next day we might be changing our recommendations and again, I appreciate people 's patience on this, but we want to give you the, the best information out there and give you the most appropriate recommendations based on that information.
0: Great. And speaking of the World Health Organization, I know a few days ago they actually released a statement saying that it is not as easily caught. I suppose on surfaces. Can you explain that to, to the public? Because I I still don't want people to, you know, hear that and then say, oh, I don't have to wash my hands as much. I don't have to, uh, you know, disinfect and use hand sanitizer. I mean, what do you think?
2: Yeah, and correct. I think the the important piece to that is that it may not be as bad. So, you know, we're still not sure, but definitely it's not 0%. So, people still have to continue hand hygiene, you know, covering your mouth when you cough or sneeze, face coverings to reduce spread of uh, saliva, you know, staying away from each other at least six feet distance. So, all these still are in play, regardless of what the World Health Organization is saying. It doesn't change any of our recommendations.
0: Recently, current events there's been a lot of protests over the George Floyd tragedy. Should people who participated in the protests get tested for COVID-19? If so, why?
2: So, you know, I don't want to just focus on protesters. I think anyone who is unable to maintain social distancing safely and not use face coverings or around people who are not using face coverings, they are at increased risk. So it's not just during protests, but, you know, maybe it's a family gathering, maybe it's a wedding, maybe it's a uh, another large gathering of some sort that you know, if you find yourself or folks in a situation where they could not maintain that social distancing of six feet and people were not uh, wearing face coverings at all times, then you need to consider yourself at risk. Uh, so protests would be an example of such thing. So we would recommend testing be done uh, to make sure that you are not infectious. And again, we are seeing you know situations where you don't have to have symptoms uh, to be infectious that you wanna make sure that you are safe in your home, you're safe around other people. And for those that are protesting, you know, I want you to be practicing your constitutional rights safely as well too. I don't want you to spread any infections. I wanna make sure that you are healthy as well too. Uh, so if you feel you need to get tested, please uh, visit our website, coronavirus website, because we do have a list of testing sites, or you can visit your uh, primary care physician or provider as well to get um, an order to get tested.
3: Thank you, Dr. Hong in regards to contact tracing. A lot of people hear that word, and uh, it sounds kind of scary to them. I was wondering if you can explain how it's being used in Delaware and um, how
2: it's reducing the spread of COVID. Right. So contact tracing has been shown to be effective in really reducing further transmission infection. So what it entails And, you know, maybe it's better if I just describe the process. So we identify someone who tested positive. So that's considered the case. So a case investigation is performed. So we ask many questions, including, you know, um, uh, medical history, uh, but more importantly, related to contact tracing, we do ask, who have you been around? Who potentially could have been infected or exposed by you while you were infectious or sick? So we get a list of names. And then afterwards, we contact those folks and just kind of let them know that you potentially could have been exposed to an infection that you should do X, Y, and Z. So for COVID-19, we would say you should um, self-monitor, make sure you don't develop symptoms. You should quarantine yourself, um, stay away from others for at least 14 days, and potentially you should get tested as well too. So, you know, it's very important for the public to understand the importance of contact tracing. I know it can be you know, bothersome. It could be intrusive because we're asking a lot of questions. You know, we are calling folks and, you know, they're on the phone for for some time. But hopefully they understand the importance of that because we want to make sure that we capture anyone that potentially could be exposed. We want to make sure that they are protected so they don't spread the infection to others. And that's really the best way to prevent uh, further spread disease is by making sure the contacts are safe, that they're not spreading disease further on. Uh, So we do ask for the Public's patients uh, during contact tracing. But, you know, as I said before, we all want to reopen. We want to go back to normal life. Part of that uh, would be just complying with contact tracing. That's great.
0: And, Din, as you know, we're glad to support the state's effort in contact tracing. And uh, hopefully we can help you do that.
2: Yeah. And I appreciate the partnership with Din because we do need your help as well as help of others, including the public, uh, to make contact tracing successful and effective. And, you know, as we proceed, you know, we're, we're building our contact tracing capabilities uh, because we want to make sure that every case that we identify, we do a complete or an effective contact tracing process. So, and I'm hoping people understand that's also for their own safety, that if we called you and informed you that you potentially could be exposed, you don't want to spread that to your loved ones, your family, your friends, uh, your coworkers, and so forth. So it really should be considered a win-win situation. Again, we don't want to be uh, the reason why others are sick.
0: Yeah, we really appreciate it, Dr. Hong. Last thing I wanted to say in closing is perhaps you could maybe give an example of, we know you've explained definitely where we are right now. How should the citizens of our state just move forward uh, in general and uh, our day-to-day? Keep with the coverings, keep with the hand washing and hand cleanliness surfaces. How should we move forward, basically? Just a brief summary.
2: Yes, uh, we have not changed our... Primary infection control uh, recommendations. So we are still recommending face coverings when you're in public, especially in situations where you can't social distance. If you can social distance, you should uh, stay away from others. Definitely wash your hands. You know, cover your mouth if you cough or sneeze. If you have symptoms or become sick, please reach out to your primary care physician provider for additional guidance. If you are asked. Uh, to isolate or quarantine by Division Public Health, please do so uh, because that will reduce the risk of transmission to others. So our recommendations are not changed. Uh, And it's important that we maintain those recommendations while we reopen because we are inherently increasing risk of spread of disease by opening businesses, allowing people to go out and go shop or go eat at a restaurant or attend events. So that increases the risk for transmission. So we want to maintain. Uh, the safety piece or the infection control piece to balance the increased risk in transmission. And then we'll wait and see. We'll see if we are going to see an increased number of cases, hospitalizations as a result of reopening. Uh, so far we haven't, which is great news. But as we reopen, we are absorbing that risk. So the it's not because we're reopening because the virus is not out there. The risk is still there. Uh, so we do ask the public to maintain those infection control measures, but you know, help support the economy um, as we move forward.
0: Great. And it is still the state recommendation, I would imagine, that people who are high risk categories, such as, you know, lung conditions, heart conditions, uh, elderly, should probably still self-quarantine as much as possible, not as much interaction in the public.
2: Yes. Uh, for those in those vulnerable populations who are at a higher risk for complications, they may, may not be a higher risk for getting the disease, but if they do get the disease, they're a higher risk for bad complications, which can include death. So, you know, we do message that to certain populations that, you know, we don't want you to get sick because you more likely will encounter problems, complications. Uh, so that's a great point to, to bring out. Thank you.
0: No, and thank you. And, and again, we know you're incredibly busy and we just wanted to again, thank you for taking the time and uh, helping us get some good public information out to the public uh, regarding COVID-19 and where we stand now, especially as we approach that phase two date. So thank you very much, Dr. Dr. Hong, for joining us.
2: No, again, thank you for this opportunity again. I'm glad we're talking about this and not continuing with what we talked about the first time around, that we are in a better place. And again, it's just, you know, just due to everyone's efforts and cooperation uh, during these hard times. And, you know, we are seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, but we still have to be aware that it's still out there and we need to do what we need to do to continue the reopening phases. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the DIN cast. We will have more coming in the future and you can make sure that you get the latest episodes by following the DIN on social media. We are on Twitter at DIN underscore H-I-E And you can find us on Facebook by simply searching for Delaware Health Information Network. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions about the podcast, and maybe have some suggestions about future topics that you would like to hear us discuss, please email us at dincast at din.org. Also, please feel free to give our new podcast a like and share it with those you think can benefit from our discussions. Thank you again for joining us, and let's talk again soon.